Now, ta te ti to tu. Ta te ti to tu. No, no, Miss Lamont. Round tones, round tones. Now let me hear you read your line. And I can't stand him. And I can't stand him. And I can't stand him. Can't. 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 Very good. Now, around the rocks, the rugged rascal ran. Around the rocks, the rugged rascal. No, no, rocks. Rocks. Around the rocks, the rugged rascal ran. Very good. Oh, I done. Shall I continue? No, go ahead. Mm -hmm. Not mind me. Now, sinful Caesar sipped his snifter, seized his knees, and sneezed. You are listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. The following podcast contains adult language, adult situations, and spoilers for the movies discussed occur often. You have been warned. Now, take it away, Dr. Rausch. They must be destroyed on sight. Welcome back. It is Zay Must Be Destroyed on Site, episode 232. And I'm your host, Lee. I'd rather kiss a tarantula, Russell. Joined once again by my co-host, Lee. She can't act. She can't sing. She can't dance. A triple threat, Hardy. How are you doing, ma'am? That sounds about right. <laughs> I definitely can't dance or sing. I can kind of act. <laughs> yeah. 283 ain't bad, you know. I got a really bad French accent. <laughs> hey, whatever works. And we're pleased to be joined by someone who's guested on this show a few times uh, in the past. A good friend of ours and a uh, co-host or a host and co-host of other podcasts. Gary, a shimmering, glowing star in the cinema firmament. Hill, how you doing, sir? I'm a big, big shining star, as one man once said about his penis. But yeah, I'm here, man. How you doing? <laughs> really good. Really good. Don't most fans say that? <laughs> well, one guy did was to a fake penis. You know, that's another movie altogether, you know. <laughs> yeah. So um, this is a movie that Gary picked because I was like, hey, you getting back on this podcast anytime soon? You have the list. So... He was like, okay, let's do Singing in the Rain. And I was like, okay, cool. And uh, then I told Lee about it and happens to also be on her movie list for film classes. So uh, it just worked out perfectly. So uh, get two birds stoned at once. Two birds stoned. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah, Singing in the Rain, 1952. You might have heard of it. It's, it's, it's an obscure little musical from 52, but. Um, you know, that's what we do on this show. We we talk about obscure movies that no one's ever heard of. So uh, we'll enlighten you all uh, very soon here. Uh, but before we do that, I do have a 
fairly substantial piece of listener feedback to get into here. So I'm going to try to go through it really quickly. Daniel was supposed to be on this episode and it would have made a bit more sense to have him on here because uh, this is in relation to when we did the man who laughs quite a while back now, but uh, from Alicia Nyblade on YouTube. So a good YouTube comment as well, which is very rare. And I've actually looked at her channel too. And I guess she's big into this uh, story. Like she's, she's, she's actually writing a play adaptation of this. She said, I read the Hugo novel to answer your questions about uh, Gwynplaine and Josina in the book. Gwynplaine doesn't go to see her after she sends him her invitation. In fact, he burns it and tries to forget about her. It's only later after he's been taken away to become a lord that he accidentally finds Josina's room while searching the palace for Dea and Ursus. That's when the attempted seduction takes place. Uh, as for Dia, yeah, she's pretty bland in the book, too. But let's face it, Hugo wasn't the best at writing multifaceted female characters. They're either virgins or vamps. But speaking as someone who's visually impaired herself, uh, have been since birth, I interpret Dia's supposed ditziness as what people think she is. Just like they take Gwynplaine for just a clown, they assume Dia has nothing going on in her head because of her blindness, a disability which has long been used as a metaphor for innocence or stupidity. And it's still a misconception perpetrated today. Yeah. Also, just a friendly word of warning, avoid the adaptations from the 60s and 2012. Both are absolutely terrible. And she spoils it uh, going on here saying the Italian film features Gwynplaine renamed Angelo because the story is set in Italy now, happily accepting his role as the Dutch's lover evokes so much thought for his adopted family he's leaving behind. Oh, that's stupid. Uh, And after a bunch of drama, including Dea getting gang raped by a group of soldiers who are sent to banish her and nurses, Angel renounces his titles and returns to the fair to marry Dia. Oh, and he has an operation to fix his face. And Dia magically gets her sight back because people with disabilities can't live perfectly happy lives as themselves. That's fantastic. And then she says, and the uh, 2012 film, That production was basically the classic case of a film company taking the bare bones of a book and stringing them together with what the kids are into these days. Gwynplaine and Dia do die in the end, but is it done as Hugo wrote? No, of course not. In the novel, Dia dies from the shock and joy of Gwynplaine's return. She and Ursus had been told he was dead so they wouldn't go looking for him after he'd been made a lord. And Gwynplaine drowns himself to join her happy uh in the 2012 film dia drinks poison because she overheard gwynplaine and joseza fucking and gwynplaine drowns himself oh just it's that's uh that's great she does say that the tv show in the 70s uh is good though uh there's a tv adaptation if you want to check out another version i'd say go with that one all right there we go thank you alicia a lot of nice little bit of extra information there consider it like a uh, dvd extra on the podcast uh if, you, if you've listened to it uh, lately so there we go we can move on now uh to what we've watched in the last little while i've got nothing to mention but uh i'll throw over to our guest uh, gary well today i watched a movie that i had no expectations and saying hey this is gonna be something i enjoyed but i really enjoyed it i watched uh the brand new cruella Deville movie known as cruella starring the great uh Emma Stone, the great Emma Watson as well. And um, hmm. this is like one of those origin stories where they take her from, she's a little girl. She's an angry little girl who has, uh, I guess, options to be like a, a, a fashion designer. And, and she becomes one of those in a way. She she works her way up. And then, you know, she finds out some stuff about 
her mother and you know she becomes angry because she becomes ri- angrier because rival with uh Emma Watson's character is like this big I mean, Emma, 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 Emma Thompson's character who's like this big old fashionista lady and comes like a war so it's kind of like Devil Wears Prada meets the Joker because by, <laughs> by the end of the movie you know she becomes who she is but not like mean but like like fierce if you will like she's independent but um <laughs> all the performances are fun as a lot of British actors I do not know what they're from but um they're all cast very well and I would I would see it in the theater. I watched it at home, but I, I would see it in the theater. I had fun with it. Uh, I was seeing the like I, d- I didn't like watch a whole trailer through or whatever, but I saw images from it and stuff. And I was thinking, oh, this feels like they're kind of like, oh, what if Tim Burton made Cruella Deville in the nineteen nineties? But you know, it's, yeah, it's kind of yeah, kind of kind of has that feel to it, you know. But it's fun, you know. Dog, dogs are doing stuff in the movie. Great, great dog actors. Sometimes <laughs> mm-hmm. they're CG, but not CG, you know. But um, I've always been a Game of Stone fan. I'm I'm a, a closeted person who loves the film Easy A for some reason. I, I've watched it <laughs> multiple times, and um, yeah, these are things that I enjoy. And uh, you know, more unimportant but very important. I I replaced my my Blu-ray copy, the Shout Select version of Roadhouse, and. That's always a magical time. <laughs> You're younger than the rest of us, uh, Lady Lee. Have you seen Roadhouse? I have not. That that is a man style film right there that I think everybody should watch. <laughs> um, I have heard of it. <laughs> that, that is male bonding at its finest. That's all uh, Roadhouse, you know. <laughs> I think I think I think at the very least uh, you'll you'll enjoy the martial arts uh, action in it, uh, Lee. Okay. It, it's kind of in a way stupid over the top macho 1980s martial oh, arts but, totally but it's <laughs> but at the same time there's kind of a gritty realism to it too that's kind of interesting as has lines such as i heard you have balls that could fill a dump truck as a <laughs> you know you 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 can you can let that much fluid out to fill a dump truck and um <laughs> I, I used to fuck guys like you in prison uh you know uh but the great ben Gazar is in the film and he's great in the <laughs> movie so there's that and Patrick Swayze and, and Sam uh, Elliott. The great Sam Elliott, yes. Yep. You know, I love you, Miho. It says it all. That's all I'm saying. You know, mm-hmm. I like to imagine that that's his son. I like to imagine that, you know, but you know, that's that's a fantasy I have about Roadhouse and <laughs> it, it needs to be watched. Yeah. For, 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 for Jeff Healy alone, it needs to be watched. Okay. You know, that's yeah. A blind, that's, a, that's a blind guitar player right there, you know. Yeah, well, Jeff Healy was Canadian, was he not? I believe. Yes, he was. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. So it was like that. Actually, kind of put him on the map a little bit. Like he was this kind of Canadian musician. Either you move to the U.S. and make your fortune, or no one ever hears of you. You know, except for north of the border. And uh, yeah, well, well, discovered by Steve Ray Vaughan, so that helps things move oh. things along. Yeah. So now we have a around. movie for movie night. Do it. Yeah, <laughs> do Roadhouse. Yeah, if, we you feel, if, you, if you're feeling especially froggy, do Roadhouse too. If you ever want a film where um, Jake Busey is a meth dealer who does martial arts, you, you can watch that movie. You know. Oh, <laughs> boy. <laughs> okay, maybe. <laughs> I'm not uh, saying it's good. I'm just saying it's there. And I see to watch it. You need to see it at least once. You know, if you're, if you're feeling froggy, you know. I don't know. I got I got burned by Jake Busey in The Hitcher Part Two, so I don't, I don't know Man. about that. <laughs> was he was he really the biggest problem of that film though? I think I think it was well, no. Thomas Hall. Yeah. Uh, and, and what was it? Um 
Carrie Kari. Brewer. Carrie yeah. Brewer, yes. Yeah. My God. That was that whoever decided to make that movie was just no. like ugh. Lady Lee, anything you've watched lately? Yes, uh, mine's going to be a lot less fun than uh, than Roadhouse. Uh, anyways, I watched uh, Tower, 2016 documentary. So it is an animated documentary about the shooting that happened uh, August oh, 1st, 1966. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the one where the sniper went up to the University of Texas Tower and just started sniping at people randomly. The way they did it was kind of cool because all the like it was animated and at the end they actually showed you interviews with uh the actual uh survivors and the people who are like a part of the shooting i didn't know i don't know if i cared for the animation like i don't think it's something i would like to do again but i did think they did a really good job about kind of reliving the experience because like the whole time you heard the gun shooting as the whole thing went and i think the movie was as long as the shooting went because the movie's like an hour and a half and the shooting went on for like 96 minutes so i think it's like pretty close to that so i don't know if that was intentional but it's something that i did notice and i think they did like as many shots as there was like or tried to but it was really cool it was Hmm. very interesting watch it was very a different way to see a documentary pretty sure like in 24 hours i watched like the darkest movie and like the most jovial movie like just (laughs) just completely two opposite ends but yeah like last week we did um uh, the act of killing, which was the point of view from the killers, and this week I did the tower, or sorry, tower, which was the point of view of the victims. So it, I went on extreme ends again. It's it's like getting the large popcorn at the theater, and they get the diet soda to balance it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I want a diet. I'll have a Caesar salad. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, yeah, I was looking in the to watching that. The, it intrigued me because it's dramatic recreation in animation form, which is not a thing I recall ever being done before necessarily. I think it's the first one to do it of its style, like yeah. that kind of style. Because usually usually you end up, you know, you get like true crime recreations of, you know, dramatizations of things and it's like this looks like a really bad episode of Unsolved Mysteries and I don't know if I want to keep watching this and Robert Stack isn't even here to like you know where did she go what happened to her like so um See, yeah. see, when, I, when, when I get lonely in the documentary I watch is that Fred Rogers documentary it's always a mistake but always a wonderful surprise at the same time because once, once, once Lady Aaron starts talking to Daniel Tiger and you know I started having feelings about myself. I, about an hour ago, I hit the pause button and say, okay, I, I need a moment here, you know. Because <laughs> Fred Rogers has got real on me as Daniel the Striped Tiger, you know. <laughs> Sometimes I feel that I'm a mistake too, but, you know. <laughs> then, then they sing the song and I feel a lot better about myself. Are you going to sing it for us? No. Like? <laughs> that, that, is, that is a duet and I'm going to leave it be, okay, you know. That's, that's only behind the uh, Patreon wall. Uh, there you okay. go. <laughs> Yeah, our non-existent Patreon. So there you go. Look so for, you'll never hear it. Yeah, look for that never. Um, so uh, yeah, we're gonna take a quick break, uh, play a couple podcast promos, some music, and we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about singing in the rain. You ungodly warlock. Uh, there's this show called Movie Melt, and you probably know about it. Uh, and it's once every two. I have no idea how often this is uploaded. <laughs> and it's a show where a bunch of compañeros get together, and we play some fun games, trivia mainly. 
Uh, we talk about new releases. Uh, we have some fun games where we try and guess the title of a movie based on stuff that really probably religious people write on IMDb. <laughs> yeah, it takes about 20 hours to record. There's always a failure midway through. Uh, and then the highlight of the week of the, of the show is uh, reviewing a movie. Usually it's kind of a interesting, lesser known cult type movie and it's uh, quite enjoyable. It sounds good in theory, yes. <laughs> I might have a listen one day. <laughs> wow. Wow. You come to the right place. My name is Gary and I'm your guide to Cinema Beef Podcast. Every episode, we not only deliver film reviews, we also dismantle some of your favorite and most hated films. Sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worse. Hey, 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 you shut your face. If we want to hear you talk, I will shove my arm up your ass and work your mouth like a puppet. All right, calm down, calm down. Every show I hope to have a new co-host, podcasters, listeners alike. That's right, I'm talking to you people. I take all comers. Oh, slaps. That's not very nice. The only rules, well, let's ask the best cooler in the business. All you have to do is follow three simple rules. One, never underestimate your opponent. Expect the unexpected. Two, take it outside. Never start anything inside the bar unless it's absolutely necessary. Three, So join the insanity and please vent your frustrations. I'm available on TalkShoe, iTunes, and Stitcher Smart Radio. Remember, here at the Sunday Beef Podcast, if you got beef, I've got the grinder. You ungodly warlock. It has a fiddle ready for love. I can jump over the moon up above. It has a fiddle and ready for love. Haven't a worry, haven't a care. Be like a feather that's floating on air. It has a fiddle and ready for love. Soon the church bells will be ringing And I'll march with my law And the church bells will be ringing With a hey nani nani and a ha-cha-cha I did a little, my baby's okay Ask me a little, and what did she say? Fit as a fiddle and ready for love Yeah, there was a quote from Roadhouse there, just in case you didn't know, Lady Yeah, Lee. you're welcome, Lee. Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that, that is a very old problem. i got to fix that problem. <laughs> sure. 
Yeah, like, are some of the platforms you even mentioned that you're on still in existence? Uh, <laughs> they're not talk show anymore, for sure. You know. <laughs> oh, well. Maybe they could find it on the Internet Archive. Talk show. Uh, Do it. Um, okay, so Singing in the Rain from 1952. Why don't you picture those romantic lovers of the screen, Don Lockwood and Lena Lamont? Public is screaming for more. More what? Talking pictures. Make a musical. A musical? Make them laugh, make them laugh. Don't you know everyone wants to laugh? <laughs> my dad said, be an actor, my son, but be a comical one. Don, believe me, it will be a sensation. Lamont and Lockwood, they talk. Well, of course we talk. Don't everybody? Good morning. Good morning. We've talked the whole night through. Good morning. Good morning to you. This California dew is just a little heavier than usual tonight. Really? From where I stand, the sun is shining all over the place. Life was a song. You came along. You've come a long way, Don. Won't you tell us how it all happened? First, we set the stage with a song. It goes like this. Dancing. And singing in the rain. This is directed by Stanley Donan, and he was a friend of Gene Kelly. They uh, became friends, I think, during the Broadway time, and they sort of rekindled their collaboration in Hollywood a few years later. Uh, they collaborated on a bunch of classical musicals this was kind of like the the time sort of known as the sort of the a production musicals in hollywood uh under the production of arthur freed so they collaborated and co-directed uh on the town singing in the rain and take me up to the ball game from 1949 they uh split ways and he continued to do a lot of similar stuff song and dance man himself so sort of dabbled in all kinds of different stuff. He directed Bedazzled from 1967, the original one. And his career, oddly enough, ended uh, in the 80s on two real oddball films in his filmography, Saturn 3 and Blame It on Rio, which, uh, yeah, I <laughs> I don't even know what to tell you about that. Saturn 3 is um, interesting uh, on its own. Blame It on Rio is, I'd say it's probably pretty problematic at this point. In time, <laughs> a very uh, overage Michael Caine uh, leering over uh, some teenage uh, girls in Rio. Well, uh, Saturn 3 has Carby Keitel implanting his brain into a sex robot or something. I don't know mm -hmm. what's going on in that movie. Uh, uh, and and uh, Kirk Douglas with, uh, what, Farrah Fawcett, I think? Farrah Fawcett. Yeah, Kirk Douglas was at least 
probably 30 years older than her at that point, playing playing the husband, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, right. he was much older than she was, for sure. Mm-hmm. This, I, I, I'm saying it really badly, Lady Lee. Like, it's a bad movie. You shouldn't watch it, but it's really a good movie. It's just really strange. Because <laughs> you could tell right away that Harvey Keitel has unintentional, you know, uh, appeals towards Farrah Fawcett. And then he puts all those appeals inside of a robot who wants to get with her, apparently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it's a movie that's ahead of its time, maybe. I don't know. And uh, so also directed by Gene Kelly. We'll get more uh, into him here in a second. Uh, it's written by Betty Comden and Aldoff Green. I guess they wrote the story as well. But one of the sort of the trivia points here is that the story was actually kind of written around the songs. Uh, if you look at their credits, they're pretty much just credited for soundtrack stuff for the most part. Their songs, a lot of them from this actually disappear in other movies throughout the decades afterwards, right? Like um, one of their one of their songs is in Leon the Professional, for fuck's sakes, uh, at, at some point. Um, I can't remember which one or when, but I do know that. So I assume they also kind of like wrote with Gene Kelly and Stanley uh, Donnan, uh, you know, just like thinking up scenes and stuff to sort of put around this music basically and develop a story. So, so there you go. We got Gene Kelly as Don Lockwood. You might know him from this film <laughs> and inherit the wind, some other musicals and stuff, a uh, big time song and dance, man, as uh, you can see on screen here. Don't forget, uh, don't forget Xanadu, man. Cause that's I important was, stuff. You know? I was about, I was about <laughs> to say his career ended just as interestingly as uh, uh, Stanley Donnan's did. Uh, uh, he was in Viva Knievel and Xanadu at the end of his career. So those are <laughs> what a way to go out. We have uh, Donald O'Connor as Cosmo Brown. Some things here that uh, jumped out at me. Uh, he was he played Buster Keaton in the Buster Keaton story, 1957. And he was in a film that you just covered on the projection booth, Pandemonium from 1982. Yep. We have Debbie, Debbie Reynolds here as uh, Kathy Selden. Uh, other things she's been in is How the West Was Won in 1962, The Singing Nun from 66, and her final role was uh, Behind the Candlebara from 2013, the uh, film about Liberace with Michael Douglas playing Liberace, and she played Liberace's mom, Francis Liberace. <laughs> Jean Hagen is uh, Lena Lamont. I knew I knew her from somewhere, and it was The Asphalt Jungle from 1950, which is a great little uh, film noir heist film. Another one that popped out for me here was Dead Ringer from 64, and that was, I think, her final film role, actually. Her, her film career kind of petered out in the, in the 60s, and she went to TV, and she died in, like, 77 of throat cancer or something like that. But um, I'm not going to get too much into any of the other credits. We're in this sort of dangerous time now where people are living longer, and they have, like, a million fucking credits. So it's not like 1922 movie starring this person who died three years later and had five credits <laughs> to their name, you know? Um, like. 45 when he was 21 mm -hmm. they had five credits and like three of them were you know what those silent films that were lost and in, in a fire somewhere and no one's ever seen them you know so we got uh, millard mitchell as rf simpson sid charace as a dancer douglas folly as roscoe dexter and rita monroe as zelda zanders and uh synopsis here Taking place during the rise of the talkies, we meet Don Lockwood and Alina Lamont, who have risen to stardom during the silent film era of Hollywood. Beautiful, charismatic, and influential to two combined to make a great on-screen pair. 
The introduction of uh, talking pitchers poses a threat to the powerful duo, however, when it is discovered by audiences that Lena has an excruciatingly shrill voice. In her young studio singer, Kathy Selden, a woman who lacks the stardom of Miss Lamont, but possesses the beautiful voice of which Lena is in dire need. Can Don and Lena find a solution to, to Lena's laughably annoying voice to salvage their careers? And that was done by Kyle Perez. So, yeah, we'll uh, just sort of get into it here. I'll get your general thoughts on this first, Gary. Well, you know, the reason why I picked this one is it was on your list. I'm not sure who else would have picked it if they came on the show. And I was uh, raised on this kind of stuff, basically, from my grandmother. You know, mm-hmm. uh, people say the first thing they ever saw Yul Brenner in was Magnificent Seven. I, I saw him in The King and I before any of those other movies. Oh, yeah. Um, this is... um. One of those early ones that I didn't revisit for a very long time. And then like a couple of years ago, out of the blue, I was like, yeah, I'll get into it. And then, you know, one of those things is it, it'll make you fall back into it again. Cause a lot of these guys came from like vaudeville type stuff. It, mm-hmm. it shows on screen, you know, just like the kinetic energy, uh, energy between Donald Connor and, and Gene Kelly in this film is especially when they're dancing together and doing the, the acts together it, it is the strongest part of, the, of this movie for me and um debbie of course who's a she's a baby in this movie she's, mm-hmm. she's really young in this movie most of you here singing in the rain you guys think about clockwork orange and you should because you know <laughs> it, it uh it took that and uh made, made it gross but you know what uh, it, uh, i think about that and i also think about you know how how can a man tap dance in the rain? It'll make you believe that, and I, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I, I I dig it, and it's it's hard for films that stand the test time like this, but it it does. I still really enjoy it, and I think that Sean Hayes owes most of his Jack character from Will and Grace to Donald O'Connor because it's almost mm. the same thing. I'm a guy who likes Will and Grace, and you know I, I didn't notice it till I was much much older. It's like, yeah, there's, there's something there that he may have borrowed, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, Lady Lee. I fucking loved it. I thought it was so freaking cute. The dancing, like the tap dancing was awesome. Like it's one of those things that you don't really see in musicals in general anymore. So I thought that was really cool. Uh, I also really enjoy it. So the thing I love about these movies is that a lot of the acting is stage acting versus like movie acting. And it's just so energetic to watch. Like you just really get into it. Uh uh, Donald O'Connor was my absolute favorite in the movie. I know he wasn't like the main guy, but my goodness, <laughs> how freaking adorable was he? Like he was just this star in the show. Like he was just so freaking awesome. Like you were so drawn to his energy. Uh, I'm also obsessed with Debbie Reynolds. She's such a beautiful woman. I freaking love her. Uh, I was so sad when she passed away. It was one of those people that I was, I was very brokenhearted about it. But yeah. I'm actually, pretty excited that we chose this movie just because like we said it's on my movie list it's not till later in the semester but it's it's done mm-hmm. <laughs> so my homework's done <laughs> but i'll probably watch it again i heard it a lot when i was a kid like i remember my dad used to always sing the song and then that clip was always in different commercials and different uh like movies I, I don't think movies but anyways different commercials different tv shows like you always heard them mention singing in the rain mm-hmm. but i never actually saw the movie so Today, when I first saw it, I was pretty stoked. 
the only thing I didn't like was uh, how the relationship first started, I found was kind of aggressive. So that was a little bit of that old school mentality. But other than that, I thought it was freaking awesome. Like that was, it was a great movie. It was super yeah. freaking cute. Uh, this is first time watch for me. Honestly, this is one of those films where it's not only a first time watch, but it's like almost like a cinematic void for me. Like I don't recall ever seeing any um, other Gene Kelly stuff, really. I've, I, I know he's in Xanadu. I've never watched Xanadu, but I, I know what it is like, you know. And so going into this, I was just sort of going into this kind of really blind. I mean, everybody knows the song Singing in the Rain. You, you can like maybe there's generations now that don't know what it is necessarily, but I can't think of anyone from like Gary and I's generation or before that. And maybe just a generation after that. They have it on recent commercials. Um, you know, it, it's got a bunch of stuff in here, actually. That's kind of like stood the test of time. Just like I said, uh, the two people who wrote all the songs for this, their soundtrack credits are just, in every fucking movie for every decade going forward kind of thing, you know? So there's a lot of classics here. So I'm not the biggest musical fan. I, you got to really try hard to make me like your musical. If, if that's what you're presenting in front of me, I, I just, when people break in the song in the middle of like dramatic scenes and stuff, that kind of takes it out, out of uh, reality for me. I just, I can't suspend my disbelief as much, but, this one doesn't do that as much. Like it's much more focused around, Hey, we're actually doing like stage shows and we're doing performances and stuff like that. So that kind of works. This is almost like a Warner brothers, like cartoon in, 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 in the flesh, the way the performances are like very snappy and cartoonish, which kind of overshadows the, uh, you know, kind of waves away how, bare bones the actual story is it's just you know it's just a love triangle like it, it's very by the numbers you can tell that they weren't caring too much about the story as they were about the performers the songs and the physical performances which are fucking excellent i'd say um i'd say donald o'connor is way better than gene gene kelly and gene kelly ain't no fucking slouch like donald o'connor he has a weird physicality to him where he's like He's literally like an acrobat, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Like, just like the at one point he starts trying to cheer up Gene Kelly, and he's banging on the piano and shit. And then in one move, like he literally doesn't like you, you don't see him like set himself up for it or anything. He manages to launch himself off of the fucking piano bench onto the top of the fucking piano in some weird way. And I'm like, how in the fuck did he do that? He Even moves my, so flawlessly. Mm, and it might best day i could never do that like <laughs> when i was even reasonably in shape i could never hope to do that without like seriously injuring myself it's in some fashion you know like i was just looking at like that guy's freakish like how is this guy not the main star almost like he's just really good um so yeah i, I generally liked it like I'll, I'll get into the sort of the stuff that just didn't do much for me but overall i did like it um, enough that I'm, you know, by the end of this, I'll give a recommendation, but uh, we'll just sort of, you know, open it up now, whatever you guys want to sort of like point out and talk about. Lee? I thought that uh, Lena got kind of shit on in the one part. Cause you know, when they went from silent movies to voice acting, uh, they were making her seem like she was the issue, but realistically mm -hmm. it's just kind of getting used to new technology because they're acting with a microphone in front of them and they're supposed to talk to it and they keep trying to rearrange it and they make it seem like it's her fault the whole time 
Mm-hmm. Where I was like, okay, no, as much as she's like, she most meant to hate her, you can't blame her for the fact that they're having issues with sound when no one knows what to do. Like, this is all new to everybody. Like, you can't just shit on one person because you guys don't know how it works. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the movie does, she's got, you know, character traits that are not not nice like she's she's a vindictive you know backbiting bitch basically but she is like part of part of the thing is though she's also kind of a victim of the of the studio system too mm-hmm. you know the transition from from uh silent movies to talkies it's not so much that she's terrible that her voice is that horrible like it, actually if you hear her as she goes through her voice actually slightly gets a bit better uh, I thought it was so cute. I actually liked her voice. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I mean, that's adorable. <laughs> I mean, she's 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 like straight up, pretty much like a a more a slightly more shrill, like Betty Boop or something like that. You know, almost kind of thing. You know, and <laughs> she, she she's a New Jersey Betty Boop. You yeah, know? there you go. <laughs> and uh, it's like you know, her voice ain't that bad. They're sure she it might take away from her getting the starring roles and even that's you know a a problematic thing of the movie system back in the day where it's like well we can only use certain and i mean it still happens today that we can only use certain people for certain roles and shit like that like yeah you know that's that's all bullshit but no she grew on me her voice grew on me i was like i'm I'm actually fine with this. The things I don't like about her is that she's a fucking bitch. Like yeah. uh, she's just a nasty fucking bitch. And she's also in total denial too. She's like, she's trying to get on Gene Kelly's dick, this whole movie. And Gene Kelly's like, I'm not interested. Uh, they, I don't think they ever necessarily say if, if it's because of his, her shrill voice uh, or if it's just because like she's, it, yeah. Or if she's just an awful person. Um, but you know, <laughs> I, I, I gotta tell you, like I've, I was, I loved that sort of the whole microphone gag they did. Like I was actually super yeah. surprised how well it came off when they're doing the uh, preview of the movie for the first dub or whatever. And all the, the, everything's off on the microphone. Like she turns her head. You can't hear her all of a sudden mm-hmm. for a minute. I thought, wait, is there a defect in the movie I'm watching? Did they fuck up this? Oh no, they're actually pulling off a really yep. cool gag for 1952. I That's really smart. Cool. Yeah, the, the, the clicking of the pearls and the you yes. know everything. Yeah, yeah. She, just, yeah the voice. <laughs> yeah, the, the the fucking the film slows down for a brief second and the sound slows down. I love the uh, enunciation coaches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, enunciation. Yeah, I thought that part was pretty hilarious with her going can't and she's going can't yeah. can't can't. can't. Can't <laughs> just the rolling the rolling your R's. Mm-hmm. I can't remember which part they did, but the <laughs> rover rode something. Rover, mm. <laughs> like the really over exaggeration of the R's. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did think it was funny how, like in you know, in Lena's case, when the movie starts and they give you sort of the background stuff, they keep her silent for like a good I don't know ten fifteen minutes or something before she finally talks. <laughs> so you don't you don't get it until like it it actually it actually sets it up as a joke. The first time you hear it, it's like oh god okay I get it. <laughs> the, the, the director in the and the sitting in the back is very nervous because he knows how she's going to sound and you know she sounds the way she sounds. But you know I get you know the way they were going though they, you know they were stars established before the talkie mm-hmm. so they weren't together in when the, in the talkie you know, era. 
you know, it, it'd feel weird, I guess. But yeah. then she sounds the way she sounds, and it's not exactly screen friendly, I guess, as a as a leading lady, I, I guess. I don't know. Perhaps. Yeah, the the, the studio is probably like making most of their money off this pairing and what all these films they've done together, right? So anything that threatens that, any perceived threat to that is going to be like, it's going to kill their bottom line. So can you imagine how awful it would be to like be with somebody and then to do all your movies with that person? Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I can't even imagine. Like I get, it would be cool to have a spouse where you do a movie with them, but to do every single movie with them, and then live with them. Like I feel like that would be way too much. Like that would just be oh. an overabundance of being there's, with your partner. There's being professional, and then there's having the girl is trying to get up on your nuts when you really don't want her to. You know? Mm. Yeah. Because you you could be broken up and be professional, I guess, unless you're like really bitter or something. Yeah. Um. I mean, you see a lot of Hollywood like relationships go that way, though, right? Like. Two, two big stars meeting on the set and they hit it off and then they make a couple of movies together then everything goes sour because you know for whatever reason but um, imagine imagine also being back in that period especially when you know you were kind of like stuck in big contracts to studios and stuff you had to kind of work together um, mm-hmm. imagine imagine working together and hating each other uh, you know it has like well, that you, you mentioned the studio system. I mean, all these guys, all these guys were contracted by somebody, mm-hmm. so they had to work together contractually obligated to work together. You mm-hmm. know, they really didn't have a choice back in those days. It just it just makes me think of like um, like the last the last years of like uh, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis or something like that, where you know they weren't getting along and shit, and or or maybe like the the last twenty years of the Ramones fucking career. Yeah, you know where everybody in the band hated everybody else pretty much, but they were still touring like endlessly just because they they had to to survive basically. Yeah, you can see Gene Kelly's character here. He's like he's desperately trying to get unstuck from this. Like he's just, and and he also I, I love how um, he's actually kind of insecure about how good of an actor he is or not because uh, Debbie Reynolds like you know even though Debbie Debbie Reynolds kind of bullshitting too because she hasn't done anything yet really. But she's like, well, I'm a real actress, you know. I, I'm a stage actor, and we read lines and and stuff like that. You're you're just one of from the, one of those silly silent films where you flap your your hands around like a bunch of doofuses, you know, kind of thing. It's like anybody could do that shit. Totally not true. Uh, after all the uh, sort of silent films Daniel and I have uh, gone through in the last year or so. Um, you can definitely see like the different skill set involved, but like the physical acting, you have to kind of like n- nail down. It, it was a definite talent, even you know, even though still a lot of those those people sort of fell by the wayside and didn't have long careers after the talkies hit. You know, it was just it was more perception than what you know what they actually could or could not do, kind of thing. Um, and I mean, talking about like that, that's kind of one of the criticisms I have of this film is that I kind of wish it dipped more into the silent movie aspect of things. Like in the opening of the film, you get uh, you get a, a little hint at a film I want to see. I want to see Stuntman from the silent movie era mm-hmm. like that. That looked kind of fun, like because you see Gene Kelly before he becomes a big star. He's just he just gets in as a stunt performer in these silent films, and at one point he you know he does the 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 cowboy stunt where the the actor gets hit and knocked out, so he can't do the stunt 
properly, and then Gene Kelly steps in and just fucking <laughs> nails it. it. Yeah. <laughs> the stunt, actually, the stunt for some of those stunts that they did, uh, it was again very impressive because mm-hmm. you know that they did not have the safety nets and stuff like they have today. Oh, yeah. A lot of them are just like, "Hey, cool, just throw yourself as hard as you can into this wall and have fun." Or jump oh, off this thing and make it look acrobatic. Have fun. <laughs> oh, I mean, I, I don't think it, it, I don't think it's even been until the last few decades where they've really had any kind of like decent safety standards for stunt performers. It it kind of feels like even up until about the seventies, it was still pretty fucking dangerous to to be a stunt performer. It was kind of loosey goosey, you know, kind of thing. Well, even even the non stunt performer, you're about the the apparatus that Chris Reeve wore for Superman the movie, it was not very comfortable. Mm-hmm. And he, had to, he had to wear it for like eight hours a day or something, you know. Yeah. Just that just that thing strapped around his junk, you know, and across his chest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um but yeah, yeah, I mean like it, it feels like, you know, uh, I mean stuntman Mike from Death Proof, he's kind of like a unemployed stuntman who's you know the stuntman business changed he's he's kind of like probably his last heyday was probably doing a couple spots on miami vice or something like that as a as a coordinator or something like that you kind of imagine you know yeah I so for, i work for hell need him come on now you know <laughs> i like the the tongue twisters in the movie Mm-hmm. When they did the tongue twister scene and the tongue twister song, that was probably like one of my favorite parts. <laughs> that was really cute. It was um, just a, fun, uh, a fun way to to make it was because like in drama you learn tongue twisters in order to help enunciation. I don't know yeah. if actual actors do that, but I know we did that in like high school drama. So it's just kind of one of those things where like I know why you're doing that. <laughs> so. <laughs> I feel some probably still do because. I think everybody. It, yeah. I think everybody's got a voice coach at this point. Like you can't really be a name actor in Hollywood without a voice coach, right? Like you, it's just kind of has to be, uh, you know, unless you're like unless you're Sean Connery, ain't you know, rest in peace. No one's gonna, no one's gonna tell you you can't be an Egyptian Spaniard, you know, and it still sounds Scottish. Yeah, you, you gotta lose that Australian accent, you know. Ask, ask Mel Gibson. Mm. Watch, watch Mad Max and watch Lethal Weapon. It's still, still a little bit prevalent. Lethal Weapon, but not much. It's kind of went away, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he just, he just. Uh, I feel like Mel Gibson just kept sucking his voice in more and more of each movie. It's like mm-hmm. getting a little bit gruffer, a little bit gruffer to the point where you can't distinguish it from Australian or just like American who smokes too much kind of thing, you know. Like, <sighs> Gotta smoke those camels unfiltered. Come on now, just to get that, that good gruff there. Mm-hmm. I want to say I'm raspy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jennifer Tilly was the actress that I was thinking of, the one who has like a very similar voice. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of made it famous because of her voice and her big boobs, but yeah, that's oh, yeah. that like super girly voice. So yeah, some people make it big with their voice. <laughs> Screw them, denying her voice. Even though the Lena was awful, like she was an awful human being. Yeah, just a shitty person. Like yeah, yeah. but um. Go ahead. I'll, here. S- I'll say one thing. You want to hear, learn about the 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 process of ADR replacement ADR? You could watch mm-hmm. this Gaunty film and you'll learn all about it because that's a, the, the whole plot of the, f- the whole second plot of the film is replacing yeah. her voice with Debbie Reynolds' voice in the film. And yeah, and then she's feeling it, bro. She, she she got she got David Prowse all over that motherfucker. 
<laughs> but, but but she was into it, man. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I mean it. It is it is good as a um as a movie making movie, like a movie about making movies. It does yes. get into a lot of that stuff. It's quite cool I mean, background too. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah, talking background. Now I didn't like. I'll, I'll fully admit, like I kind of looked away from the screen once in a while, once we got into some of the musical numbers, like I said, again, musicals, not my thing. So sometimes I'm just, okay, here's another five minute song and dance thing that I can kind of look away from. So I didn't, I probably didn't catch everybody, like all the cool shit going on in the background, but there's a lot of stuff going on in the background of uh, of this entire film. I, I liked in the opening, there was this character that was at the swanky party and she had like a, um, like a spider dress on almost like it kind of looked like spider webs. And she had this like unique, like head piece on, on her, on her, on her head. Yes. And she, she reminded me of, I, I can't remember which one it is. It's either sleeping beauty or snow white, but the, the witch basically from, from one of those, sleeping I, beauty. I, I think it's sleeping beauty actually. Yeah. Yes. Yes. She reminded me of that. And she's dancing with this dude. He looks like he could be like Gomez Adams' dad or something like that. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, um, that dress is beautiful. Mm, I like that. And there's also this one gag that just just made me chuckle. And it's just a it's just a sight gag. And it just and it, it it's honestly just wipes right through the screen during that party. There is this little four eyed nebbish dude who is probably like five foot nothing. Looks like, you know, like he's, he's probably like a Jewish lawyer from New York or something like that, you know, kind of thing, like stereotypical kind of thing. And he's dancing with a this towering, statuesque, beautiful brunette who just looks like an Amazon goddess. And they're the like the biggest odd pairing. And they just you see them sort of trot through holding each other dancing and and it, it's just like one little sight gag i'm like that i want to see his story i want to see what he's doing <laughs> with that woman how did that happen i thought that visually it was really nice too because i know the one scene where he's dancing with the girl with the white dress oh and like the scarf oh going, yes like, the, the wind. yeah the the depth perception they do with like the, the matte painting and the set like the set itself looks pretty big Mm-hmm. But you can't see where the matte painting and the set, you know, connect, like where one ends and the other starts. Like, yeah, it's very good. It just looks like they're in this vast space dancing. And her yeah. flowing scarf that's really long. Like, every mm-hmm. long. I thought it was so beautiful. I thought that part was like visually so fun to watch. Like, it was just, it was very fun. Mm-hmm. That, that's the, my word of the day fun. Saying it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it is a lot of fun. There's a lot of fun shit in this. Uh, I totally agree. It was a feel-good movie. Like, it was a feel-good from beginning to end. It wasn't as if there was any big conflict or crazy stories. Like, even with um, Debbie Reynolds, when they say, oh, well, you have a contract for five years, that lasted for, what, a couple minutes? And then mm. we end up, Lena ends up getting discovered that she wasn't using her voice. So it wasn't like as if it was a long haul of, like, heartache. It was a very much a, a very feel-good the whole time movie. And it was cute. And the love story was cute. Yeah. I, actually, the Singing in the Rain, that dance, I I know it's so iconic. Like, they use that song everywhere. Even now, they're still using that song. But that dance in the rain, oh, my God. 
like you just feel his energy you just feel happy you're like i want to dance i want to dance in the rain <laughs> i want to get some tap shoes and dance in the rain <laughs> see in xanadu he does it on roller skates is all i'm going to say about that one anyway. oh okay <laughs> it, it is magical you know and how old I, would he have been in, in xanadu oh my god i looked that one up he had to be in his 80s or something or late Holy 70s shit for a while i, I was thinking to myself gene kelly he was in Ghost Story, right? Like that was his last role. No, that's like Gene Autry or some other person. Like, for, for Fred Astaire was in Astaire. Ghost Story. Yes, yeah. that's it. That's it. Um, yeah. Um, has anyone got any sort of other final thoughts on this one? The only thing I'm disappointed in: Gene Kelly, Deming Reynolds, and Donald O'Connor did not like at the beginning of the scene. They sung "Singing in the Rain" together, the three of them together. I was so hoping there was going to be another scene with all three of them together doing like a bigger song. I know they did the one kind of um, "Good Morning," mm-hmm, but I yes. thought there was going to be like a stage dance with them, like to show all three of them. Because again, I don't, don't disagree. There should have been a big finale. I think. Yeah. Yeah, like Donald O'Connor was like built up so much in the movie too, where uh, Gene was always saying, "Hey, Cosmo, my buddy. Hey, he's with me. Hey, whatever." And I thought they were going to end up bringing him and Debbie Reynolds and Gene all together to do this kind of big finale for the three of them. I, I thought they were going to end up fucking. Do it or man. that. <laughs> I don't know in those movies. Those are not I, like. I guess you can't do it in fifty-two. But I was like a thruple, though. They totally act like a thruple. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, you can't you can't really do it in fifty-two. But like what Gary was saying uh, earlier, there there seems to be like a little bit of a gay coded subtext underneath between Gene and uh, <laughs> and Cosmo. Just a little bit. Like I thought. Well, at Almost first flexible? I thought. Petroflexible? Possibly, possibly, because <laughs> you know, although you do, although you know, at, there is one scene in the party where he's like trying to chat up this redheaded girl, and it's like, oh, can you get me in the movies? Well, yeah, I could probably get you in the movies. Uh, <laughs> Casting couch. Mm-hmm. So it's like, so it's you know, it's it's like the movie going. Don't worry, normal 1952 American. No queers in this film. You know, <laughs> very straight. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got thruple vibe off them though. I could totally see Debbie Reynolds being in something like that too. She's. Very- I just lo- I just learned what that word means by the way. Like this week, so you know, I feel so special. <laughs> 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 Like, what, I, the fuck, what the fuck is a thruple? I have no idea what that means. Oh, that's what it means. You know. <laughs> I've only been using it more often. I would have just said like something open maybe, going on. Maybe you should have maybe you should have said uh, polyamorous triangle or triangle. Polyamorous, yeah. yeah. I could have said that too. I don't know. For me, I liked it overall. I don't think I liked it as much as you guys did because I'm just not into you're full of people. hate. I am full of, I, I don't like to smile, guys. I don't like to laugh. He doesn't uh, like I, to feel love. He's and when, and when movies do that, it just, you know, it, it, it makes me feel wrong. Um, I feel feelings. Yeah, no, it, I, I think it's a little long for me. Like, I, I feel like I could have cut about 15 minutes out of this and been a bit happier with it. There was some but, parts that I did extend a little bit too much, so I do agree with that. But I do, I do respect the movie on, like, a technical level and its performances and stuff like that. Like, it, it's very watchable. It's just... Like I say, like some of the musical numbers, I just kind of like, okay, uh, I'll check messages, uh, what's going on, kind of thing. Yeah. There, there is that point in the movie where um, our duo is is pitching to the bigwig about a number they should add to the thing, and it has like a 10-minute section of the film Yeah, that, that yeah. kind of took me out of it a little bit, but that's about it for me, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
that exact one that is the one i was saying it's that scene where he's like yeah i'll just add this and it just seemed to go and i was like is this the part of the movie or is it still part of like the thought of what's going to go in the movie because mm-hmm. it's still like imagination so yeah i do agree that part was a little long-winded that's it, though, for me. Yeah, I think there's about. I think I would take out of the movie right there. Yeah. <laughs> it was so cute. I love musicals. I've been brought up on musicals. My dad watched all the musicals when I was a kid, which was hilarious because I was being shown Jesus Christ Superstar and Tommy at the same time. See, that's a good double feature right there. See, well, Tommy, I can get behind. <laughs> See, Tommy didn't need the resurrection scene. Now, Jesus Christ Superstar, as fabulous as it was, it is how, how amazing King Herod is just dancing around. If it had a post credit scene where the resurrection happened, exponentially better okay you know mm-hmm. <laughs> that's like a, especially in that period for every tommy you get you get like 15 fucking sergeant pepper's only heart club band and i'm like Ooh. i'm not so keen on that and we're back to margaret again see you know yeah um so this had a budget of 2.5 million it went vastly over budget but it's still in a ended up breaking in 7.2 million so it did pretty good overall it is everywhere you can fucking get it at literally everywhere every fucking medium pretty much you can think of you can find it blu-ray dvd itunes google play microsoft store fandango now amazon prime voodoo movies anywhere uh there's some probably some versions on youtube somewhere um i didn't I, find I, any I would you probably just have to you know know to look kind of thing but no, it's, it's probably embedded in youtube somewhere daily motion it's it's a movie that you know is is a classic that's uh, sort of stood the test of time to the point where it's like you know available we have a little bit of trivia here like there there was a shit ton of trivia too and i was like okay i'm just gonna pick a couple little bits here um so just a little just a couple like uh, personal things here on Gene Kelly. Uh, so working days sometimes stretch to 19 hours and Gene Kelly was apparently quite a brutal taskmaster uh, when uh, directing this and coordinating everything. So Debbie Reynolds, who had never danced to this degree before rehearsal started, uh, Fred Astaire, who was an adjacent dance studio, found her crying under a piano and reassured her that all of her hard work was well worth the effort. So. Aww. Reynolds herself remarked many years later that making this movie and surviving childbirth were the two hardest things she'd ever had to do. <laughs> uh, the filming experience was particularly unpleasant due to her harsh treatment by Gene Kelly, who was just like a total perfectionist, kind of like Stanley Kubrick level of like you f- fuck anything up. Hair is misplaced. Oh, we're that, 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 goes, that goes back to, you know, his theater days, though, to where if you didn't get it right, mm-hmm. you, stayed, you stayed there till you got it right, you know. Yeah, yeah. Decades later, Kelly expressed remorse about his behavior. I wasn't nice to Debbie, he said. It's a wonder that she still speaks to me. Donald O'Connor and Debbie Reynolds admitted that they did not enjoy working with Gene Kelly since Kelly was verbally belittling and a tyrant. Uh, O'Connor said that for the first several weeks, he was terrified of making a mistake and being yelled at by Kelly. But going on. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You wouldn't oh, know it on shit. screen, no. right? And and <laughs> they were whipped into shape. Holy fuck! <laughs> it shows you what kind of performers they were. Um, yeah. And just one little last bit here on Donald O'Connor. Uh, he recalled in an interview, "I was smoking four packs of cigarettes a day then, and getting up all those walls was murder." 
they had to bank uh, one wall so I could make it up and uh, through another wall. We filmed the whole, that whole sequence in one day. We did it on a concrete floor. My body just had to absorb this tremendous shock. Things were building to such a crescendo that I thought I had to commit suicide for the ending. I came back on set uh, three days later. All the grips applauded. Gene Kelly applauded, told me what a great number it was. Then Gene said, do you think you could do that number again? I said, sure, anytime. He said, well, we're going to have to do it again tomorrow. No one had checked on the aperture of the camera, and they fogged out all all the films. So that whole sequence he did and, like, killed himself doing, they had fucked up. And they had to (gasps) just totally redo. Oh, no. And he said, so the next day I did it again. By the end, my feet and ankles were a mass of bruises. So. That scene didn't look comfortable either. Mm-mm. When you watch them do it, like it was, it's fun visually to watch, but when you look at the actual process of doing it, like you knew it wasn't fun at all for him. Yeah. No, I, I, I just can't even wrap my head around like the level of athletic ability and stuff they, they had to like pull that shit off. Like it's just, wow, well trained dancers. I mean, you, yeah. you can, you can see it in Debbie Reynolds. Right? Some of the dresses and stuff she wears shows off her body and she is just all muscle, like sinew, just wiry muscle. Like The dancers, too. You saw their legs. Mm-hmm. Also some muscles on the legs. Uh, their timing was impeccable. Like for the dance, you can see the perfectionist part because the dancing, the routines that they did, everything was like on point. They were all matching each other, especially for a movie like um, back then as well. Because I, I don't. I find that it tends to look a little bit messier, messier when it comes to choreography sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I found this one was just so clean. Uh, same with like the dubbing when they did uh, when she was singing. Uh, Lena was like voicing and Debbie Reynolds was in the back singing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was really well done too. Yeah, that was. Yeah, because I've I've done dubbing. It's not like the easiest thing to try and match. So I think they did a really good job the whole way through editing and dubbing and everything. Yeah. It's very clean. Not sure what we're doing next time. It's just kind of up in the air. We might, we might have another guest. We might not. Um, I'm going to look into that, see what we can uh, figure out. we got a week to figure it out. I'm, I'm going to try to like get, in us, get us back to weekly when, when we can do it. Um, so we'll see what happens. Maybe Daniel will be back next week. Maybe that'll be the week he shows up. We'll see. Maybe. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Until then, Gary, it has been too long, but it's been an absolute pleasure to have you back. You can tell everybody about all the podcasts you currently do and something that you and I are doing here in the very near future as well. Yes, uh, if you guys haven't heard, heard enough of my voice lately, I've been trying to release them weekly. But um, Cinema Beef Podcast, the thing that's been in my life since about 2014. And uh, it comes out on Legion Podcast Network as much as uh, all my other stuff does. That's a show we do multiple genre films just like this uh, thing. We find the theme and we uh, put two films together. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it don't. You know, this is what research is for people. You know, five seconds of research, two drink minimum commentaries. Again, regular releases uh, i've been i've been away from this stuff for a little bit here but i'm getting back into it again the next one that should be released is uh a film called firepower which stars gary daniels uh chad mcqueen who was dutch from the karate kid and <sighs> jim helwig himself uh the ultimate warrior oh my god brandishing a sword in this film and it's, it's it's up and magical uh <laughs> what what else um 
Blood from the Core is a new project I'm doing with with Derek Bourgeois from, from the Cinema Tech Podcast, and um, this is a show where we cover horror and thriller films from from with our New York City based. Uh, first episode will be a Legion Patreon exclusive. So if you haven't joined Legion Patreon, it's two dollars a month. Uh, not just that show, but lots of other shows will be there, including Court's uh, un- uninhibited, royalty-filled music episodes of Cinema Psyops are on there. <laughs> and, um, yeah, you can, you can play if you want to. Um, even think about putting two drink with, with the video on there as as a Patreon exclusive, just because I, I can put it on there, but I can't put it on a regular feed. But that'll be a show that's a Legion Patreon exclusive. Look for that twice a month. And then, uh, uh, <laughs> I got to take a there for a second. See, see, it's too much stuff going on, but you know, mm-hmm. you're feeling, you're feeling ambitious. You want to do things. And also t- twice a month, if everything works out, you'll hear myself and, uh, Mr. Lee Russell and Mr. Cameron Scott doing, uh, a great big Walter Hill podcast. Uh, he's a, a, a director, writer, producer, who I think has had one of the best runs in Hollywood ever. If you look at this stuff that he's done. So we're going to show him some love and do a show called the last call of torches. And, um, first episode being hard times, mm-hmm. Charles Bronson, James Coburn. And, um, the guy that Lee wanted to be dressed up as in the cover art, uh, Mrs. Strother Martin. So, mm-hmm. um, looking forward to that. Looking forward to working with Lee and, uh, lady Lee, you're welcome to come on. Any any of my shows, you know, if you want to, <laughs> I'll send you a list of the beef shows. There's some interesting stuff on there, some not so interesting stuff, depending on what you're into, of course, you know. But um, we yeah, keep it fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be honored. Um, That'd be awesome. But I am done speaking now because that's too much as it is. So, <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, and yeah, you can. Uh, well, no, lately, you got anything to plug? Almost forgot you're a co-host here. You should, you should probably, you know. Well, <laughs> well, I'm on this podcast called "They Must Be Destroyed on Sight." Oh, okay. <laughs> that's that's, that's pretty- a good one right there, in by itself. So you know, mm. <laughs> if you haven't heard of it, <laughs> check that one out, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, and you can find that podcast and uh, our other podcasts on our feed at "They Must Be Destroyed on Sight." Tmbdos.podbean.com. You can find our. Apple Podcasts, Facebook, YouTube, links all there. Join the fucking Facebook group. That's the best way to get in touch with us and find out what's coming up on the podcast. And until the next time, uh, again, thank you very much, Gary. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you, Lady Lee. And thank you, people, for listening. Uh, We appreciate it. Bye-bye. I'm singing in the rain, just singing in the rain. What a glorious feel, and I'm happy again. I'm laughing at clouds so dark up above The sun's in my heart and I'm ready for love Let the stormy clouds chase everyone from the place 
Come on with the rain, have a smile on my face. I'll walk down the lane with a happy refrain. Just singing, singing in the rain. Dancing in the rain. further episodes, our Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and YouTube links, please go to tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through.